Well, I want to welcome everybody to our podcast this week. And for those of you who have been joining us on these uh, podcast conversations, these are conversations with authentic leaders. And my name is David Irvin, and I just am uh, very grateful to be offering these conversations and these stories. I'm just passionate about people's stories. You know, there's so much written today, and it's there's so much good material written today about what leaders do. And my my passion and focus is about how do leaders become. So it's not necessarily about the tools as much as it is about the tool user. Who are you as a leader, and what makes it possible for a leader to influence, and what is the story behind the person? So it is my good fortune today to have a person that I have grown to really respect and appreciate and value. As I often say in these podcasts, the best part of my work are the remarkable individuals and leaders that I I meet. And so I want to welcome Sarah Cluthier and... This, Sarah is a physician, and she's been trained at McMaster University and at the University of Ottawa. And Sarah was in one of my leadership programs recently when we, took, when we take leaders away for four days to Banff and really look at you know, stepping away from the voices and demands of the world and really go inside. And uh, Sarah really inspired me with your vision of changing the focus of Western medicine from a disease-based reactive system to a model that includes the whole person and wellness promotion and disease prevention is a major part of the narrative. And so, Sarah, you may not see yourself as a leader, but I, you know, in the traditional sense, when we see traditionally leaders coming from a position and from a title, but I'm telling you, you are on the cutting edge of, of changing the field of medicine, the way we think about medicine, and you're evolving us into a, a new paradigm, as you say, a new narrative on this whole on this whole journey. So thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. Oh, well, thank, thank you for that welcome, and thank you for having me here today. I'm just very grateful to have this opportunity to chat with you about something that I think we're both passionate about. And, um, have a chance to reach out to your listeners, so I really appreciate this opportunity. I wonder if you can start by just sharing a little bit about your journey professionally, a little bit about your medical background, where you got your training and your thinking, and what your thinking and vision is in terms of the whole medical field these days. Sure, yeah, I'd love to. Um, So my medical training, well, first I have um, an undergraduate degree in health science and kinesiology from St. Francis Xavier University on the East Coast, so tiny little undergraduate school, Um, and I kind of developed my passion for the human body, and it's working there. Um, Then I went on to McMaster University where I did medical school, which I think was quite integral in my um, thinking or positioning in medicine because McMaster pioneered the problem-based learning model um, that bigger universities like Harvard have actually adopted from them. And it's quite a patient-centered focus. Um, 
And we do a lot of, or we did, and they continue to do a lot of self-reflection in that model. So I think that sort of started my journey um, of introspection very early on. Um, We met weekly as a group of learners with the supervisors to talk about our challenges and you know, how we were growing and learning as people and difficult encounters and how to deal with difficult encounters. And I think, you know, looking back on it now, that was probably, you know, some of the most valuable learning that I had in med school. Um, I have to just ask you, did you feel a sense of um, separateness from, from the mainstream thinking around medicine at that time? Or were, there was a more of a collective understanding that this is where we want the medical model to go, the medical profession, if you will. How would you describe that? Um, you know, I think that McMaster's you know, very deep-rooted deep in the sort of allopathic reductionist model, but they are producing... Uh, clinicians that are, are, are more mindful. Um, so I think that was a start, and I think that they're probably much more progressive than other training centers in North America. Um, but I think as a group, we, we did realize that, you know, our role as clinicians is to really facilitate healing. Um, and that can be a difficult a difficult role. So the need to sort of recognize our humanness in that and to come together and form community was really important. So I think I felt a lot of support. I really enjoyed med school. I didn't feel different. Um, But at that point, I didn't quite realize that something in the delivery of medicine was missing for me. And this isn't about disrespecting traditional medicine and its role in our world and Western thinking about no. medicine in any way, I don't think. I think it's an integration rather than an either-or. It's a, it's both and, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Western medicine, I think. I love Western medicine. It's extremely important. I think we have some of the best medicine in the world. And if you're, you know, in an accident or have an acute medical issue, this is sort of where you want to be and where you want to get help. Um my current understanding is that Western medicine is one tool and that there's many, many tools out there. Um, and the idea is sort of just adding more tools to the toolbox and sort of shifting our thinking on how we use Western medicine so that it can bring the most benefit to patients. Exactly. And so can you paint us your picture of where you see your profession have, has evolved and what your vision and, and uh, mission now is in terms of the whole medical profession? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think for me, you know, during the first seven years of practice, there was always something missing for me. So people would come in with symptoms and we would address them and sometimes they would get better. A lot of times people would get better. Um, but often people would come back with other issues. Um, or people would have these sort of chronic, indolent issues that just didn't go away, no matter how many health specialists they saw. And there always felt like there was a piece missing, like I didn't have the whole picture. And what's become more evident to me as I sort of go along on this journey 
and also because of my own personal experiences, is that there was never really an emphasis on looking at why these symptoms or these diseases evolved. What happened to set this person up to develop the symptoms that they were presenting with? Um, and that, that's been the piece that's been missing for me. And I think we can't look at health in isolation. Health has everything to do with how we live our lives as a whole. It has to do with, you know, the work that we do, the purpose we have in life, um, the community we have, the quality of our relationships with others, the food we eat, how we move our bodies. All of these systems don't work in isolation. And I think they all have bi-directional relationships with our health. And until we start looking at the whole picture, so the human that's presenting with these symptoms in the context of their lives, we're going we're gonna to miss pieces. And that's where I think our traditional model of medicine is missing. I don't think that medicine, like medical or healthcare policy is not separate from economic or social policy. All of these things... Um, affect how we live our lives and each piece of that puzzle affects our health and I think this is really where the shift in thinking needs to take place how my immediate reaction is how do you work within a system where the demand on our healthcare system is so great and we've got a lineup of patients where you see them every 10 minutes in the course of a day um, how on earth do you approach that systemically and holistically under that under those kind of conditions? Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of been my struggle over the past seven years that I've been practicing medicine. Is it's really really hard to do that. Um, but it doesn't change think- the fact that it that there needs to be changes. There needs to be changes, and I think in order for our system to be sustainable, um, I think everybody knows that as baby boomers continue to age and as our, our disease burden in this country continues to increase, our system's not currently sustainable. And I don't think throwing more money at the healthcare system, you know, to fund physicians and hospitals and to react to the disease burden that we see is actually the answer. What I'm sort of coming to in my research and my my current learning is that we need to shift our culture so that, you know, we're living in a way that promotes wellness and, and prevents disease so that that burden is lifted and we can respond to acute issues as they come up, but that hopefully they would be fewer and further between what we're seeing right now. And so that really comes from, like I think, a grassroots community level. You know, how are we running our organizations? Are we setting up work cultures that are conducive to health and well-being? Do, do people have support or are they living in isolation? Because if we look at the evolution of humans, we're not meant to live as we do in North America. You know, we're meant to have community and support each other um, and have good relationships and, and know that, you know, if we're struggling, somebody else in our tribe or our, our community is going to help us. And I think that has huge implications for health. You know, the way that we sort of live in this independent fashion, um, I think that really compromises health. 
And I think there's still, you know, disparities. Not everybody in Canada can get educated. And we know that education plays a huge role in health outcomes. So that's that's a social and economic issue that needs to be addressed. So I think I think we really have to look outside of the health system as we know it to address these bigger issues. And that we have to approach it in a holistic way, not in a, as you say, a segmented way. It's an integrative exactly. whole approach where you integrate between mind and body and community and how all of this impacts. How do you not feel overwhelmed with the task ahead? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's an overwhelming issue, but I don't think that I'm going to change this issue. You know, I think we each do our part and there's a lot of people out there who have similar concerns and I can see you know, people like you rippling a different level of consciousness out there and, and people want to make a difference. So I think the more we start talking about these issues, the more, you know, people might be motivated to help change. And I think it's going to come from community levels. So what, what might be an answer in one community might be completely different in a different community. So I think really, you know, the onus is on everybody to want to make a difference, to want to see a change, to want to be healthier and happier. But it's to not me, an individual issue. Exactly. And it starts with a conversation and a vision. And uh-huh. my vision is that we, that we gather collective, you know, a, a collective uh, energy around us and spirit around us where we can begin to have like-minded people who are committed to this. Because I'm seeing this emerge all over in my work across uh-huh. North America, where this consciousness, whether it's in the medical profession or it's in the business community or it's in our public service or it's in our homes, we're beginning to say we need to raise our children differently. We need to approach our health differently. We need to approach our businesses and our communities differently because right. under the current approach, it's just not sustainable. No, it's not sustainable. And I, I don't see that people are really happy in this approach. I mean, the one privilege that I think I get from my work is I get to meet a lot of different people and I get to hear their stories. Um, and, you know, that often means that I'm behind in my job because yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing the 10 minute visits. But I think, like you said in your introduction, people's stories are the most important. Uh, and when we start to really listen, a lot of people are suffering. Um, and they don't, they, they don't want to continue, but, you know, a lot of people just don't really know what the answer is, right? So I think you're right. The conversation about this is huge, and the more we can kind of bring that to our communities and open up possibilities for people to sort of speak out and, and give ideas, the more change that we'll start to see. Because you must see the presenting problems in your clinic are just that, that, that there's a deeper story that's underlying that that's that's bringing them to you and that you must feel this sense of compassion to want to help them get to their narrative absolutely yeah and sometimes just the listening to the narratives is healing in and of itself people just want to be heard and validated and sort of seen for for who they are so absolutely um but you know what's really shifted for me is recognizing that you can't look at a person has a disease like I remember in residency people would say oh you know the diabetic in room three 
Well, you know, we don't exist as disease states for people who develop symptoms, you know, and we cluster symptoms together and call them a disease because we have a treatment maybe for that disease. But once you start recognizing that these symptoms or these states of disease form because of underlying causes, you know, which are normally stress-related, so stress triggers a huge chemical cascade in the body that sets the body up for, for problems. Once you start looking at people with their presenting problems like that and start asking, well, what set you up for this particular set of symptoms and hearing hearing this story, it becomes it becomes a bit more manageable. When you know, you can kind of facilitate the conversations that lead to changes for people. Um, once you sort of link the two together for them, so it's not as complicated as it as it as it seems to be as an outsider looking in uh, to the medical profession. You're able to get to some of these underlying causes simply through taking some space to listen, huh? Yeah, it's all about slowing down and taking the space and sort of opening yourself to that because if you're rushed. You know, if you're thinking about making the right diagnosis, if you're thinking about the people in the waiting room, you're not going to hold the space for that individual. Um, and I don't really think that true healing can occur in that fashion. Well, and, and I must say that uh, physicians aren't the only ones who feel rushed today and pressed on the demands and how that impacts all of our lives. And it's a, a real passion of mine. To, to have people step away from their busy lives and unplug from technology and really go inside and listen to each other's stories. And mm-hmm. this, this, is a def- this is a good segue into the next piece of this uh, conversation that I want to have with you, Sarah, is how would you describe your own story to come that, that would inspire you to come to this work? How did you come to this work? You, um, there's there's got to be your own experience and defining moments if you will, or really points in your life that would have led you to where you are today. Can you articulate some of those highlights in your own story? Sure, yeah. Um, So first I'll just start off by saying that, you know, I think I'm still in a period of transition and and we're all still growing, but I don't think I'm quite there yet. (laughs) So, (laughs) but this has been, this has been a long time coming if I really sort of look back, um, I started suffering with my own physical symptoms, you know, when I was probably 15 or 16 years old. So I suffered for, I don't know, 10 years with severe gastrointestinal symptoms. Saw every doctor, had every diagnostic test. Nothing was really found. Um, The best that the gastroenterologist could come up with was, well, you know, you have a lot of the symptoms of celiac disease. You have a family history. This must be it. So I went on a gluten-free diet for 10 years uh, with basically no improvement in my symptoms. And when I started practicing medicine um, in my mid-20s and finally had a little bit of of space to slow down and think about it and think about what was happening to myself, um, I got reinvestigated again and nothing was found. And it occurred to me at that point that this was all stress-related. And once I made that revelation, the symptoms miraculously went away. (laughs) 
they just they were gone so something that had plagued me for 10 years and had you know prevented me from sometimes writing exams or you know going to social events the symptoms were just gone um so that was pretty enlightening and so that that sort of increased my level of introspection and I made some changes at that point so I left my rural practice in Ontario that was really overwhelming and demanding um, and moved across the country to Alberta where I worked in a semi-private clinic for a while and this sort of gave me more time with my patients which is what I wanted at the time um, and I thought that was sort of the answer uh, and I started this work but then my old habits of sort of taking on too much and wanting to produce and perform and um, prove myself sort of took hold again and I started horseback riding competitively and that meant training five days a week and investing tons of time and energy and money um, into that and traveling often and then I took on a position as the medical director of, of the clinic I was working in because I thought that would be a great opportunity to sort of affect some change and to take a career opportunity and so on and so forth and I started noticing that my energy levels were dropping and I wasn't feeling well. And at the end of the day, I would just sort of go home and collapse on the couch. But uh, not being the brightest person in the world, I persisted. <laughs> and then and didn't listen to the, the signs that my body was giving me. And eventually I had an accident and that kind of took me out. And so all of a sudden I went from this super productive person who was going, you know, 16, 17 hours a day to someone who, you know, couldn't work and relied on their colleagues to sort of fill in the gap there. I couldn't drive because I was so dizzy and uh, nauseous and had such bad headaches. Uh, I couldn't ride, which had become a major part of my life. I was pretty socially isolated because everybody else was kind of going on with their life and, and I couldn't, I really couldn't do anything. But the gift in this is it really gave me the time and space I needed to, to have a look at my life, how I've been living, how I want to live, what's important to me, um, and look at, you know, what is my purpose here? Why, why am I on this earth at this time, and how do I want to live out the rest of my life? And truthfully, you know, now that I'm sort of recovered from this and, you know, getting pretty close to the other side, I see it as, you know, one of the biggest gifts of my life. It's opened up so much opportunity. Um, the people that I've met on this journey have been absolutely amazing, people like yourself. Um, and I have a sense of purpose now that I really didn't have before. Um, and a sense of clarity about, you know, how, how I want things to go and what's important to me and, you know, where I really need to focus my intention and, or my attention, sorry. Um, and it's allowed me to live more intentionally, and it's it's been a really wonderful experience now that I'm sort of out of that, you know, horrible place of headaches and dizziness and, and all of that. Well, this is such a, a common theme in all of my conversations, and maybe it's just because it's the lens that I look through, but going through that dark period, if you will, has actually, you used the word gift, that it became a gift in having you see the world more consciously, more courageously, more compassionately. 
is there a message that you would give our listeners who may be in the middle of some darkness right now or who may be avoiding that darkness and seeing some symptoms? Because I think what happens, it's so good you have dogs in your world, uh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they're always barking. They're always healing. They their presence to be known. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. We all want to let our essence be known, right? <laughs> <laughs> But is there a message that you would like that you could give us? Because I think what happens, and you ha- you're the much you're much wiser with this, and, and this is your profession. But I think what happens sometimes is are these symptoms that we bring to our medical profession are actually symptoms that we're avoiding looking at the darkness within ourselves, and that we're yeah. missing an opportunity to make a real contribution in the world by hiding not intentionally but is there a message that you could give our listeners around when you're in the middle of that darkness or avoiding that darkness and maybe experiencing some symptoms that are leading you to that darkness is there some messages that we need to hear or that you could extend from your own experience that would give some inspiration through those dark periods to turn those dark periods and transform them into, as you say, gifts. And it's the word I use as well. Mm. I think my, my first message would be, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of different people, you know, from all different sort of socioeconomic backgrounds and different circumstances. Um, and my first message would be that everybody, every single person goes through dark and messy times. I think it's unavoidable uh, to the human experience. We're so, not alone. Don't feel alone in that. <laughs> um, the second, the second thing is, you know, the people who can sort of take the time to look at their symptoms, like you said, and examine why they're happening. When do they happen? You know, what what is your body trying to tell you with these symptoms? And not be fearful of those dark places will benefit the most because I, I truly believe that our bodies act as our compasses if we're willing to listen. And, you know, if you're having something that's persistent and chronic, examining that, being open to examining that and looking at what your triggers are, and looking at what your shadows are, I think is probably the only way to really overcome that and and the growth that can happen when you're open to that exploration is amazing. And so there's some really interesting uh, uh, books out there that your listeners might be interested in reading. So Lissa Rankin's Mind Over Medicine or um, Kelly Turner's Spontaneous Remission speak at length about these issues, but um, I think it's it's really the introspection about you know what is my body trying to tell me and what can I learn from this and you know how might I be out of alignment in my life and just taking the space and time instead of constantly fighting the symptoms because I did this I did this for months and months and months you know I saw every practitioner in. Western, Eastern, any type of medicine that you can imagine trying to fight my symptoms. And it was only when I sort of 
settled into them and surrendered and, and let them be my teacher, that things started to improve for me. Well, and I see that over and over again with, with patients. Well, you're, you're expressing it so articulately and, and in a way that's very understandable and inviting, I must tell you. Can you, oh, thank you. Can you help us understand... When you say listen to your body, well, uh, I have two questions. Mm. First of all, you said one of the turning points was when you began to see that stress, this was stress-induced. That is such a common reaction, but how do you make that real? And then the second question is, and maybe you can integrate these two questions together, how does one actually begin to learn to listen to your body? Now, you've, you've, you've given us a few ideas about that, but the body does know, and how do you begin to actually listen to the body's messages. I, I, do you want to say more about that? And, and, when, and just elaborate a little bit more on how do you, what do you do with that when you discover that stress, I think we could probably all in a blanket sort of general way say that stress is causing these symptoms. But you've got to go a little deeper than that, I suspect, hey? Mm-hmm. So sorry, are you looking for the actual physiology of how stress causes physical manifestations? Is that what you're looking for? Um, or... It could be if you want to go down that direction. But what I think I'm more interested in is how does one begin to actually listen to those symptoms? Mm-hmm. Can you say okay. more about that in terms of the, the, the if, if it is a mechanical process, but it, it, how does one begin to learn from your body? of science about how you know the physiology of stress and how that can cause disease and breakdown in the body and that could be a whole other <laughs> other talk but i think you know everybody's body is going to speak to them in different ways and i know in your work you talk a lot about slowing down and you know finding space and i think that's probably one of the key facts or the key facets in this whole process is we are so busy today and we're so preoccupied that we almost become dissociated from our body. And this is actually part of medical training. I mean, we, you know, in our medical training, we don't sleep for, you know, 40 hours at a time. And we often don't eat for 12 plus hours at a time. And we don't go to the washroom when we have to. And, and we learn to turn off those signals that our body's giving us. So, you know, at a very basic level, just listening to your body when you're hungry, just, you know, acknowledging when you have to go to the washroom, actually starting to notice when you're tired, you know, when your thought process becomes muddled because you're tired or, you know, you become irritable. I think, you know, at a very basic level, those things are important. Other things to do are, you know, notice that when you're upset, there's always a physical reaction that comes along with that. So what is that for you? You know, does your chest get tight? Do you get butterflies in your stomach? Um, You know, do you feel tightening somewhere? Do your shoulders clench up? So take the time to sort of feel when you're upset. Allow yourself to be upset because that's part of the human experience. And sit with your body and, you know, see how it feels. On the other hand, it's also really important to see how your body feels when when you're happy so that you can sort of start to use your body to guide you a little bit. So, you know, when you're in your happiest moments, what does that feel like in your body? 
And I think that's the very basic, you know, first steps to start listening to your body and, and seeing what signs it gives you. And I forget what the second part of your question was, sorry. Oh, no, you answered them both, actually. You got to both. Oh, did I? Yeah, you bet. Okay. I, I, was more, I was also interested, I think, which I think you really have answered, uh, this notion of stress. And, and when people say, you know, it's very common and, and easy for us to say, well, that's stress-related. But what yeah. precisely does that mean? And, how, and if, in terms of your own story, how did you precisely turn that message into a method of really starting then to do something with that, besides just hearing that it was stress-related? Right. Well, I think the first problem lies in that, you know, we live in a society where we wear our stress as a badge of honor. You know, oh, well, that's just normal. That's stress. And I remember saying that to patients in the past. Oh, don't worry. That's just stress. (laughs) Uh. And that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. We're not designed physiologically to be in chronic states of stress. Um, that's just not how our body functions. Our, our sympathetic nervous system is designed to turn on in, an, in a state of acute stress. So say there was a bear in front of you, mobilize your body to flee or fight, and then turn right back off when we've escaped that, that threat. But that's not how we live today. We live in chronic states of stress. And so that response is turned on in the majority of people all of the time and that sort of becomes our norm you know we don't we don't even recognize that we're in chronic states of stress because we're so used to it so i think first acknowledging that this isn't normal or healthy um and then starting to sort of sit with it and realize you know hey my heart beating at 110 beats per minute all of the time that's actually not normal (laughs) so what can i do to decrease that feeling, you know, whether that's meditation or walking with your dogs or playing with your kids, you know, find the things that get you out of that response and spend more time focusing on them. Because if we stay in that response for too long, our body can't do the work it needs to do to fight viruses and fight bacteria and repair cancer cells in our body. And disease states will take over if we stay in that state for too long. So I think, you know, once we find out what's fulfilling for us, what moves us out of that state, how we find joy and ease and happiness, then we can sort of break that cycle. I also hear a theme that runs through all of your wisdom here, Sarah, and that is about self-compassion. And it's about recognizing, you know what, not just justifying, well, I'm busy and I'm stressed and that's just the way my life is, but to actually care enough about ourselves to stop and pay attention and go inside and do something about this. And, I, and, I, and there's, a, there's a sense of self-care and there's a sense of real compassion instead of judging the symptoms. Um, really saying, you know what, Uh, I want to listen. Just as we would to a good friend, we wouldn't just try to fix them, but I would hope that with a good friend we would sit and listen and to treat these symptoms not as our enemy, but as our friend that we can listen to that emerge from our body. Is that, am I saying that accurately? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said that better. 
Yeah. I, you know, we, I think a lot of the times we get into this pattern of thinking, well, we're not good enough. We can't hack it. We're not resilient enough or we don't have the resources. Our body shouldn't be breaking down. You know, it's failing us. But the truth is, you know, the rate of burnout, I don't even like the term burnout because I think that puts the onus on the individual. And I don't think it's an individual issue. I think it's a societal issue. It's so high, you know, in our Western civilization that there's no way that this is just an individual problem. You know, it's not a lack of resiliency or resources in the individual. It's that we're setting ourselves up for failure. And that's, that's not right. It's not okay. And so I think that's, you know, where the shift has to, has to take place. And I think it, it is hugely about compassion. You know, we have to be compassionate for ourselves and not be disappointed or angry at our bodies for failing us. But, you know, show some gratitude for what our bodies can do and be empathetic. You know, we put ourselves through a lot more than I think our bodies are necessarily designed to do. And it's not fair to get upset when they, they can't continue that indefinitely. Well, you have been uh, very, very inspiring in terms of reinforcing my point that we get through these dark periods in our life and come out of it a wiser, better person if we just really pay attention to ourselves and give ourselves the needed support through the journey. I'm wondering if there's anything else. I mean, I, I, I tell you, I could spend the rest of the day uh, get, getting um, your wisdom and perspective on helping us you know, with our health and our overall well-being because it's so integrated together. Are there any answers to questions that I haven't asked you that I've neglected to bring out? Is there anything in your story, any wisdom, further perspective that you could offer our listeners in terms of your story or your approach to health? And you might want to speak a bit too about your business and about are you taking new patients now and are you, are you interested in, in uh, working with uh, people uh, having new patients come into your office? How, maybe just tell us anything, anything else that, that I haven't asked you. Uh, sure. So I, I think the only thing I really have to add is that, you know, this process of introspection, I think, is an individual, and it's going to be different for every person. But coming through that is not an individual person, as far as I'm concerned. And I think it does take support. Um, it takes finding the right people. It, it takes community. Sometimes it takes professionals. Um, but I think it's really important to find the right professional. And, you know, that might not be a medical doctor. It could be, you know, a nurse practitioner or a naturopath or what have you. But I think having that sort of healing roundtable of supportive people around you is key to this journey. Um if done successfully. So that's the one thing. Uh, in terms of my own practice or business right now, that's sort of evolving. Um, I'm working in a setting right now that's sort of an urgent care walk-in clinic, but I'm in the process of sort of figuring out what my next steps are from here. So, uh, yeah, nothing's quite formalized, but things are in the works, and uh, I'm just sort of in the flow of things and seeing what opportunities arise. So, 
I'm not quite sure what's next from that standpoint. Well, it must be a challenge when you become, when your awareness is further along than your current structure of how you're working with your life. And I understand that very well, that it, that in, in, that the frustration sometimes in that gap between how, what you know and what you want to present to the world and bring to the world and the value that you bring to the marketplace and at the same time catching the structure up with that. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some frustration. Um, but I'm trying to sit with that process and uh, just be open uh, to, to what needs to happen and hope that that comes to me and the opportunities present themselves. So in a way, it's exciting because I'm not sure what's next. That's beautiful. And I'm okay with that now. <laughs> I wasn't always in the past. So, so I have to ask you, you and I are going to find a way to, to contribute to this world in some way together because our values are so aligned and I have such a deep respect for you and you can you describe this uh, so well and make it as I say so inviting um, how did you learn to trust that uncertainty because I you know and unless you're uncertain there's a sense of embracing uncertainty that you're talking about here um, and unless you're uncertain, you're probably not growing. Right. How did you learn to, tr I have to ask you how you learned to trust that the way you are. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. I've always sort of been okay with risk taking, um, and not fully understanding the next steps. I guess that's just sort of part of my character or constitution. Um, but what I have realized over the past, you know, one and a half years is I've also gotten in my own way a lot by trying to control and manipulate situations um, and needing to know the outcome sometimes. And I think the more I can let go of that and the more I sort of just get into the flow and see where life takes me, the opportunities have been sometimes ones that I never would have imagined, I couldn't have imagined. Um, so, so that's been reinforcing. I think kind of when you get clear about your purpose and, and you know that you're on your path, the universe really wants to help you. Um, and I just keep getting more and more evidence of that. And I also, you know, have friends going through similar journeys and, you know, they say the same thing. So it becomes easier to trust and it also becomes easier to trust the sort of dark times because it's not like everything is you know perfect <laughs> and moves forward in a linear way but but knowing that you know if there's some hurdle that comes up uh there's always going to be learning in that it makes it a lot easier to deal with wow so well put thank you so much for your time today in this oh, conversation you. and uh, your wisdom and perspective you have uh, just inspired me and i know you will have inspired many of our listeners that are uh, going to be tuning into this podcast so oh, we, I'm, we may well have some more conversations in this uh, in this medium so i just wish you all the very best and we will continue these conversations